Good morning, church. Please stand as you're able for today's New Testament lesson from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came, wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband or at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Now, God, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of the hearts of all of us who are in this holy place be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Michael, thank you for the reading, and Mason and the praise team, thank you, and James for the Kyrie. It was beautiful. Thank you for that. What are we supposed to do with a story like this? I feel like part of me wants to begin by saying trick or treat because this is some spooky stuff. And why in the world would Luke make a choice to insert this story so early in his second volume, the book of Acts? Because so far, all we've heard is how the Holy Spirit has come with power and is transforming lives and is affecting miracles. And the young church is growing like wildfire. And then this. So let's set the table. And I know that Davis has taught you this many times about what I'm going to affirm. When you do your Bible work, 
It's kind of like doing detective work. And like any good detective, context matters. And so when you're doing your Bible work, take a step back and see what happens before and after the passage you're reading. Because very often, you'll get a clue about what's going on there. Just before our text for today, we are introduced to Barnabas. Davis talked about him last week. Barnabas, who was born Joseph, but given the new name Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, because in order to nurture the young church, Barnabas sold a piece of property and gave all of the proceeds to the young church. Why? Because there was a radical characteristic of the first century church. This community that was first known as the people of the way. What way? Well, of course, the way of Jesus. But how did that become flesh? How did the way differentiate from any other community? Well, there were various ways, but one very important one was that no one claimed ownership of their possessions. Everything they owned was held in common and because of that, and I quote, great grace was upon them all. They laid everything at the feet of the apostles to distribute among the greater community and get this, there was not one person who was in need. Not one. Now part of me wants to pivot here as we're talking about stewardship and talk about the Barnabai of the world and, and to talk about them as people of strength. People with resources are people of strength. And what I've come to know about people of strength is that they need a challenge. Something that rises to the level of their strength. Well, that's a sermon for another day. For now, keep in your head, there was not one needy person among them. Because now we jump from chapter 4 to today's scripture. A husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, members of the young church, sell a piece of property and they both agreed to withhold some of the proceeds. Now let me stop the show for a second because we need to uh, talk and anticipate your questions. Was it obligatory in the first century church that everyone gave everything to the church. There's no evidence that it was obligatory. What they learned was that it was always in the best interest of the community when they shared the things they had. Secondly, I'll anticipate your question. I wonder how much they withheld. So let's say they sold this piece of property for $10,000 and they held back a buck to buy a cup of Starbucks. Would you feel as badly for them then? Wait a minute, what am I saying? A dollar for a cup of Starbucks? Did they withhold 10%? You should be thanking us because we only ask for 10%. We don't know what they withheld. And the fact of the matter is, because we don't know that, it's pretty clear that that's not what the point of the story is. Peter got wind of it and confronted Ananias. 
Why did you lie? Not to us, but to God. And Ananias dropped dead. And we are told that great fear seized all who heard it. Yeah, I bet it did. A few hours later, Mrs. Ananias showed up. And Peter was there to confront her as well. You colluded with your husband? Yes. Why did you test the Holy Spirit in this way? And then Peter showed her the grim reapers, the, the young men who had carried her husband out to bury him. And Sapphira saw it and she dropped dead. Like I said, trick or treat. And so I ask again, what are we to make of this tale? There is a clue to be found in scripture and you get extra credit today if you know the story of Achan. Show of hands, those of you who know the story of Achan, yeah, it's okay. You're not gonna get penalized for that. In the seventh chapter of the book of Joshua, we meet Achan for the first time who fought alongside of Joshua at the battle of Jericho. It was the battle for the promised land. And in such battles, soldiers on the winning side were allowed to take the spoils of war. But not this time. Joshua commanded them not to do it because God had warned Joshua that these spoils would lead to their destruction. And so everyone obeyed Joshua's command except Achan, who pilfered some silver and gold for his own, squirreled it away. By the way, I'm told the only way to get several hundred Christians to lie at the same time is to have them sing the hymn, my, uh, take my silver and my gold, not a mite with I would hold, and then pass the offering plate. Well, as a result of Achan's theft, his possessions and his entire family are destroyed. Not only that, but because of what Achan had done, the next battle that the Israelites fought, they lost. 36 of them died because of Achan's treachery. What they share in common, Achan and Ananias and Sapphira, is that they posed a threat to the well-being of their community. And make no mistake, these stories are about the communities of faith that these people represent. What characterized the early church in Acts 4, namely the unity of the Spirit, is attacked in Acts 5. The Holy Spirit seen in Barnabas is now replaced with an unholy spirit that we find in Ananias and Sapphira. And so the church is under siege. In one of the churches I served, there was a woman who I could only describe to you as being possessed by an unholy spirit. I was a student pastor in my very first appointment. And in the very first week of my very first appointment, there was a meeting held at one of the small churches. This is a church of 25 people. 
And there was a meeting held of a memorial committee. And the woman that I referred to, she ran it with an iron fist. It seems that this woman was putting $5 a week in the collection plate to support the work of the church and $100 a week in the memorial fund, which she controlled. She decided on her own whether or not something needed to be added to the sanctuary. So if she saw a painting that she liked, a cheap reproduction or whatever, she'd buy it and hang it up. Wouldn't ask anybody, wouldn't talk, just to do it. So at this first meeting, she began to wax eloquent about the things that she was planning to do with the memorial fund money. And I said, ma'am, I believe the way it works is that your committee makes a recommendation to the administrative board and then they decide whether or not to take the recommendation. And she shot back, well, that's not how we do it here. And besides, it's my money. And I said, I'm sorry you feel that way, but we have to follow the book of discipline. Meeting adjourned. Later that night, she returned under the cloak of darkness and took all the paintings off the walls in the sanctuary. She ripped up the carpet, which she had purchased with memorial fund money and stored it away in a barn across the street from the church. The next morning, she called me to tell me that she was filing a lawsuit against me. Now, I would like for you to try to imagine the phone call that I had to make to my district superintendent after three glorious days on the job that I am being sued and I have to explain this to a superintendent. I was thinking to myself, gosh, this has got to be some kind of record. I only bring this story up to you because this woman was toxic and her unholy spirit tore that little church apart. People like her and Sapphira and Ananias and Achan are what I like to call children of lesser gods. People who are frequently driven by convenient gods or even pretty gods but the kind of gods that only lead to harm and destruction. Children of lesser gods are often lost and they don't even know it. Billy Graham tells a story on himself. As a young preacher, he was preaching a revival in a small rural town. He was staying at the home of the pastor and he got up one morning and he had a, a letter that he needed to mail. So he set up on foot to find the post office and he kind of walked around this little town for what seemed an eternity and he never could find it. Presently, he found a little boy on a bicycle and he stopped him and he said, excuse me, can you give me directions to the post office? And the little boy said, sure, just go down here two blocks and turn left, you can't miss it. And Billy Graham said, thank you very much. He said, by the way, he said, I'm preaching a revival at the Baptist church tonight. And if you'll come, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. And the little boy said, I don't see how you can't even find the post office. <laughs> I, I see Ananias and Sapphira as a peculiar kind of lost. They watched Barnabas receive the adulation of his selfless act and they wanted it too, only not at full price. That's what the church has had to battle its entire existence, hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite was? In the Greek language, a hypocrite was a stage actor. 
That's what it was. Somebody who only played a role. Children of lesser gods are good role players who like to pretend that they are something they aren't. That's Ananias and Sapphira. And if you do it long enough, it becomes second nature. I think I've said this to you before, uh, but hear it again. Hell is portable. People who refuse to be generous fall victim to these lesser gods. And so they eventually find themselves dragging hell around with them. And at their core, they are miserable because for them, there's never enough. Ananias and Sapphira's greed becomes a virus that infects the community. We know about viruses now, don't we? In the economy of God, the community is based on the notion of abundance. There's plenty for everybody. It's heartbreaking to me when I hear of hunger anywhere on the planet. Because I know and you know that there is plenty of food to feed everybody here. There's no question of that. But rather than act in God's economy of abundance, we tend to act with an unholy spirit of scarcity. The flow of grace stops when we act out of scarcity. A saint knows that there's more than enough for our need, but never enough for our greed. In the fourth chapter of Acts, we witness the model for the early church, a unified body characterized by the open hand of Barnabas. There was not one needy person. In chapter five, we're confronted with the closed hands of Ananias and Sapphira. Their lies and their greed pose a threat to the well-being of everybody else. And there are consequences for deceit. What was at stake in today's story was the very unity of Christ's body. Focusing on the scarcity of resources hurts the body. Focusing instead on the abundance of God's economy opens the flow of grace so that we all have what we need. You know where the word steward comes from, right? Back in the Hebrew community, there was a person that was assigned with the household or the largely, larger community of faith called a sty ward. A sty ward. And that person's job was to make sure that everybody in the household had what they needed. No more, no less. Last thing. Don't miss how this story ends. Great fear, we are told, seized the whole church. The fear wasn't the prospect of a sudden death. The fear was awe. It was reverence for the power of God. And now here, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles. The community has now been restored. The threat has been eliminated. How? By identifying greed and eliminating it. 
Let those who have ears hear. All of this is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.